listening to Impact Insights, a communications podcast by the Impact Agency. Hello, welcome to the Impact Insights podcast. I'm Nicole Webb, the CEO of the Impact Agency. And again with me is my trusty sidekick, Francis Dwyer, my general manager. Hi, Fry. Hi, how are you going? Hey, I am so good. I am in the office. You know how much I hate working from home. <laughs> so I have been in the office all week. And it is absolute bliss. I can wander down to the cafe downstairs and get my my sustenance. And um, I've got the dog in the office today as well. So if she barks while we're talking, I'm really sorry. But yeah, um, it's um, it's really nice being in the office. Yeah, it's funny the things that you find yourself craving and feeling grateful for when perhaps before they felt like a bit of a grind or you know, something that you didn't realise gave you so much energy for work. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, we've um, transitioned to a 50% capacity optional um, work from the office from this week. So happy Nicole. (laughs) Happy, happy Nicole. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and also grateful that, um, that we're able to do this. There's still parts of the country that can't do it and, and um, the, the world, what's going on in, in the UK at the moment is, and the US, and we're so fortunate to live in this very beautiful country that we live in and we have the leadership that we have. Yeah, and I think that um, as we've been working really closely with the staff and we're monitoring the situation in Sydney more broadly and making sure we've been really consultative in our approach to our COVID-safe space uh, so I think that it's just good to have, if where we can, to have those options available to yourself and to our staff members. And uh, I'm going to be lucky enough to see you later this afternoon in person, socially distanced. So I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> oh, no, it's going to be so nice to see you too. Hey, um, today, look, I we talked about um, uh, focusing on apologies today, and mm-hmm. I did a whole bunch of research. And we don't want it to make it a negative podcast, but I'd really struggle to find anybody out there that's done a really good apology and, you know, fallen on their sword and, and ticked all the boxes for me that um, that went, yeah, you meant that apology, good on you, and let's move forward from here. I've really struggled to find yeah. a, um, some really nice examples. So I don't I, know if you I had a chance to yeah, find Yeah, look, anything. I think this is one of those territories that, our industry naturally gets roped into that any type of high-profile apology has PR spin on it, one of my bugbear um, phrases. Did you just use PR as a verb? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone PR. Them. Oh. So yeah. bugbears is the word spin, PR being used as a verb. But I think that this is definitely a territory where we hear a lot of that and for a multitude of reasons. Um, I think that the litigious factor that is attached to a lot of um, consequences, if apologies aren't given just so, I actually think we should probably blame legal a little bit more than we blame PR in the disingenuousness of some apologies. Um, And I also think that it probably connects back to how we apologise in our day-to-day life. If we genuinely don't feel... Uh, remorseful and we don't have an intention to change our behaviour consistently, then is it really an apology anyway? Um, I I think that that's an interesting thing for us to explore and I know that you've looked in some of the psychology behind apologising and uh, myself as a 
you know, fangirl of Brene Brown and her podcast um, have listened to the series that she did with Harriet Lerner, who has a PhD and her area, one of her areas of expertise is the heartfelt apology. So um, maybe thinking about the psychology of an apology and then how we can be more effective as communications professionals and advisors to leaders and people of um, profile in how they can actually ensure that something lands and resonates in the way that they intended and it isn't seen as disingenuous. I think one of the things that I've seen too is is the culture of an organisation very much drives what the apology looks like as well. So if you look at organisations like AMP and um, Rio Tinto who have both, you know, they're the two big apologies I think from 2020 in Australia. Um, it seems like there's a huge cultural issue within both of those organisations. Yeah, I, and, and in the lead up to today, I thought, oh, I'm just going to pop in um, AMP apology into Google because this is not their first rodeo in high profile mm-hmm. issues, and uh, sort of a theme is running through a number of those issues. And um, yeah, you can get big results on all of the major mastheads from 2018, from 2019, from 2020, essentially since the uh, Royal Commission into Banking and Financial Services. um, We've seen hand on heart, we let you down, Um, this is not the AMP you expect, Uh, we need to do better and I just don't think those apologies mean much if we're not actually seeing those changes in behaviour and in culture, as you said, like the the do-then-tell expectation of um, communications these days means it's not enough to just give it lip service. And then then they do internal investigations, right, and then they come back out and they go, okay, you know, such and such is going to be docked um, certain pay or bonuses as as a result of this. But then it takes a shareholder revolt for true action to happen, so for heads to roll over over what happened um, with Rio Tinto and with and with AMP, right? So um, people have a voice, people have power, and if if the organisations don't do the right thing to start with, then look out, they're going to they're certainly going to drag it out, and the public will have their say and things will have have to happen. Yeah, and I think um, an interesting development that I've seen this year is the acceleration of criticism of apologies and, and it not being actually a helpful component to us getting to a place of something that's genuine or something that's going to result in change. We've seen, um, you know, misplaced intentions that aren't malicious or genuinely, um, you know, Decision, for example, like the challenge accepted um, movement that that was a couple of months ago, where we saw um, women across our social feeds sharing um, black and white photos of themselves that they liked, and thanking the women in their lives who had supported them and made them feel uplifted and um, self confident to pursue their dreams. And as that unravelled, um, then many of those women were high profile women. Um, then became criticised for not understanding the origins of that hashtag in another part of the world in Pakistan, which had very different implications and um, a message that went with it. And so then there's this cycle of sort of criticism and vitriol and then it sort of puts people in this camp of do they get defensive and double down and say, well, I didn't know, like 
I, I did it with good intentions, which traditionally we don't accept an apology like that. Um, or do they say, I accept this. I, I had a miss. I didn't understand at the time. That's not good enough. I'm learning, and here's what I'm going to do about it. And watching different people have different responses during that um, that all unraveling, which happened in a matter of like 48 hours, going from this lovely, you know, positive um, social feed through to um, the other side. Uh, those that responded with that hand on heart. Um, I really didn't know this. I'm owning that. It's not good enough that I didn't know. I need to learn more about this. And going to then that next step, I think, were those that got off the lightest or were the most accepted by um, the media, by social media, by the broader community. The um, Black Lives Matter movement um, made a lot of celebrities come out um, <laughs> I don't know, they, they came out um, just in case they got caught out, you know, like something in their past mm. that they did that was probably not appropriate. Um, they've come out and apologised in advance of someone digging out, digging up the dirt. Um, I noticed a whole bunch of, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of digging up of dirt from the years gone by and um, people outing people for doing the wrong thing that they did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Which you know that it is. It's 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 right. They should be apologising for that. The just the um, ignorance of of twenty years ago. We've come so far. So the mm. um, the apologies that I saw. Yeah, there's from- a little bit of overlap there, isn't there? Of like cancel culture infiltrating and overlapping with apologies and. I think that they can be a little bit counterproductive, those two movements sometimes. Mm. I think that that sense of ownership and personal growth and us being more accepting of or encouraging those in positions of profile or of uh, privilege to be more accepting of the fact that they're not one thing and that is uh, static but rather that they're on some form of journey, for want of a better word, or learning, Um, I, I, I do worry about, yeah, that, that grey area that we get into where your fear of cancel culture and fear of that cycle that it can get into is actually counterproductive. So I'd really love, yeah, to talk about how we can unpack the apologies of how they can be better mm. rather than just pointing the finger as an industry or as a as a community at people who have got it wrong. Um the high-profile one that everyone's been talking about this week, even though it's happened across the other side of the world, uh, is the Ellen apology. And I know that um, that one's been unpacked and picked and, and uh, you had some personal thoughts about that one too. The lag in time, I think, is a particular area that um, between, you know, issues coming to light and them being addressed is one that is you know age old really that's that's not even relevant to a 24-hour news cycle slash covid environment the the sheer amount of time it took for that to be acknowledged by the person that was at the center of the controversy and at the center of the issue um is is probably what really meant that there was a lot of pressure on whatever she was to say and however she delivered it um there was always going to be it was always going to be met with some cynicism or criticism as a result of that yeah, I just um, personally, I didn't like the jokes that she was telling in between a serious message. I think she had an opportunity to fall on the sword, 
um, apologise and and um, mend some fences, but she threw in some jokes. Peppered in a little bit. Yeah, mm. and she mentioned about three times that there was 270 people um, that work on the show. So she was kind of referring that there was just a few people that were, that were disgruntled. I've got 270 people that work on the show and, and really, you know, it, it was just a small amount of people that, that had, had these complaints. That's how I took the emphasis on the 270 people. But um, she, I, I just think you know she what? could have done it so much better. Of course. Yeah, I think that the bit that landed the best for me was where she reflected on herself and discussed the fact that she wasn't perfect and used lots of adjectives to describe all the things she was other than the version that the audience um, expects of her. But for me... A broad theme across a, an apology that doesn't land or doesn't translate into a change in behaviour or, or an acceptance of remorse, I think is the word if. The word if or the word but. but. If either of those words are anywhere in the apology, you don't no, hear anything else. And that's what I'm thinking about Harriet Lerner, who um, mostly talks about the heartfelt apology in interpersonal relationships as opposed to it as a as opposed to it being something in a um, communications or external communications sense. And she said that there's three gifts to the heartfelt apology. And the first gift is it's a gift to the other person or people that have been hurt. That's the first thing that you have to achieve in an apology, that it it allows that person to let go, that they feel emotional safety or they feel seen and that it validates their feelings and reality. So if you use the word, I just used it, if you use the word if or but, you're not validating anything. You're almost gaslighting them, let's be honest. Those two words are classic in the gaslighting um, uh, sort of territory. It, it, It automatically makes the individual or peoples who've been affected assume that it's something to do with them. If you were hurt, I apologise. It's conditional, it's contextual instead of being all-encompassing. And the other two components that she says um, make up a heartfelt apology is gift to the self. So the person that's apologising is objectively taking responsibility for their behaviour and that is an, that's something that is a gift to themselves because they're going to allow themselves to be more respectful of themselves in order to then respect others more and that will ultimately it, you know, it, it will uh, add to their self-esteem. It'll add to their impact on a business uh, and the culture, as you said. Like if the figurehead of a chairman or a CEO stands up to apologise and it's not heartfelt and they don't believe it themselves, they're not going to enact changes in their behaviour or, you know, really drive changes in culture. Um, and then the final thing is the gift to the relationship. So, in a business um, or brand sense, if, if a brand or a business stuffs up, ultimately that is a failure of the relationship between that organisation and its stakeholders, whether that's, you know, an end consumer buying a product in Woolies or Coles or IGA or whether it's an employee or a shareholder, all of those different categories of people, they have a relationship with you as a brand or as an organisation and you have broken the trust of that relationship until you really extend that heartfelt apology. No, absolutely. It's, it's interesting you're talking about a gift because um, I did some research and there was um, a psychologist is at Kobe University. Is it Kobe or Kobe in, in Japan? Kobe, Kobe University? 
He um, he spent dozens of years studying um, sorries around the world, and he published um, a paper adding crucial how-to instructions and says, when apologising, it's best to pay up with a gift that is costly. So he says, for example, a corporation that uh, wrongs customers might repent with pricey gift certificates. But then he goes on, an individual could atone um, by saying, I'm going to cancel my trip this weekend and spend my Saturday with you. So... um, so there's a process. I like that. Yeah, yeah it is. It's really lovely. Um, he he said that apology gifts are as old as sin um, and that research shows that the cost to the offender um, matters. In other words, the gift has to hurt the giver. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think that there's that shared sense of consequence that it's not just about the party that was hurt or affected, but you need to somehow feel that hurt. It can't be sympathy. It has to be empathy. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And I had some more nice little um, fun facts. Um, A professor from the University of Hawaii, she has done a huge amount of um, research into this as well and pretty much has set out some simple steps on how to apologise properly. Number one, accept responsibility. Number two, acknowledge harm and suffering. Number three, promise future excellence. I love that point. Uh, four, offer an immediate remedy. And five, express sincerity. So it's pretty easy, right? It's pretty easy to apologise. It's not that hard. And that's a very similar framework to what we would employ if we were working with an organisation that's experiencing an issue or a crisis. When I think about the steps involved and the framework of that lang- of how you would construct a message or um, prioritise what you say to the affected parties. It's, that's a really good framework to consider and that promise aspect um, is where it's such an important part but where it really has to connect to tangible concepts as well is what I would add is, and what we ask of the organisations that we work with who experience um, crises, whether they're they're at fault or not, whether they're just a victim of a crisis or whether they've played a role in it, um, is that it can't be um, a conceptual or, you know, esoteric statement. It has to be quite tangible, practical, connected to... Um, connected to something that the audience or the, the, the people you're trying to reach... Uh, understand and can see coming to fruition and maybe the future commitments have milestones or dates against them as well if you want to get past the top line message what's the substance that sits behind that Uh, that's really going to ensure that you know first of all you have to get that apology right for people to listen to the next piece I guess that's the other thing like some organizations do an incredible job of using these moments of crisis or or even individual people, moments of crisis, moments of mistake. We're all human. Humans make mistakes. Some of them do an incredible job to translate that into positive change for their organisation or um, for their life. But uh, it's only really something that we accept or go on on that path with them and, and change trajectory if we think that the apology was genuine in the first place and I can't help but think back to the um sandpaper cricket Australia scandal 
and think about how know, different. Don't, don't don't talk about it. Oh, I just I just <laughs> want to think how differently we we looked at and accepted. I'm not even going to say their names because we'll go down a rabbit hole. But one particular apology from uh, the most important player versus another apology from the second most important player um, received so differently. And it came from this sense of how genuine that person was, the timing of it uh, and how it was delivered and the context in which it was delivered. All of those things were scrutinised for us to determine whether or not we felt true remorse or believed that apology. But we're a long way from that now. Everyone's playing again. We we as Australians are trying to move past it, but um, unfortunately (laughs) um, other countries that we play against keep bringing it up. So Not so much. No, Mm. no, they'll bring it up for years to come. Um, And that just goes to show just how bad an incident and how bad apology it was right that if it was dealt with it was dealt with so appallingly that um it's still an issue today um look I don't know why but there's only been really two big apologies um in a year I'm wondering if COVID has um I don't know stolen the headlines or our our organisation's really behaving wonderfully this year that they don't need to apologize um Mm. what, what do you think yeah, I think we've seen like, like sort of little mini smatterings of, you know, missteps. But I think the overarching theme that I've been really pleased to see from brands and organisations is this sense of, certainly in relation to COVID, that um, the message is very much framed around where we're trying, you know, or at the beginning, we're all in this together. But since then, that idea of like, this is unprecedented, we're learning, we've talked about, you know, the policy on the run, like everybody's trying different things. And so I think there's also a sense that maybe on some level we've been a little bit more forgiving of the little things Mm -hmm. because there's bigger issues to be concerned about. So are we going to hyper-scrutinise every little thing that occurs? Maybe not, but every now and then one of them bursts through and then it gets hyper-criticised. So I feel like it's kind of extreme one or the other I I actually I agree wholeheartedly with you that I think we're more forgiving this year than we have been in in previous years because of because of COVID but you know who is behaving badly and that's the media the media um when I again doing research for this for this podcast there's a lot of apologies in the media um in 2020 from you know Sunday Telegraph put a page three apology out there to Daniel Johns you know, they claimed that he was um, at a brothel when he clearly wasn't. Um, Seven West Media and the Western Australia, they put a front page apologising for publishing a racist cartoon. Um, it was um, outsourced. The cartoon was outsourced and um, it wasn't checked. It was disgusting and, um, and deserved a front page apology. Um, news.com apologised to a pregnant woman claiming she had infected wedding guests with um, COVID-19. Um, and then the horrible Miranda Devine apology um, on Quaden Bale's video suggesting that his mum was um, scamming people out of money. So, uh, and, and then there was more. They were, the, they were the ones that I picked out. Media have been <laughs> apologising left, right and centre. I don't know if it's become more litigious this year, or but they're all... Yeah, oh, that's a, yeah, definitely a factor, I think. Um I think that the American style of apology definitely you feel 
the lawyer standing in the wings of the shot, you know, like I think that it's very common to get a sense that, okay, that's carefully crafted in such a way that hopefully it lands but it's not going to land them in being sued or or ending up in the courts. And then um, with our European um, counterparts, I think there's some interesting factors that happen in, say, a UK um, example where there's this relentless tabloid media that traditionally has gone down the path of, um, you know, write first, apologise later. And I wonder whether are we being influenced by both of those, you know, West large Western media markets? Because I think there's a bit of a flavour of both happening in both the apologies and the style of delivery. Um, you know, a, a, an apology that comes because really they have to, you know, think about a lot of the paparazzi and um, publications or uh, tabloid publications that have unfounded or, or, or incorrect reporting or, or, yeah, opinion pieces which um, are ultimately defaming other people. So that sense of, oh, are we venturing into either of those territories? But we have very different legal systems in Australia. We, we're not nearly as, um, you know, like, for example, freedom of speech. It's it's not at all like the US. Um, it's not really a thing. Um, you can be in a position where something that you say can be um, you're not automatically off the hook, you know, (laughs) for freedom of reasons. So I wonder if that's a factor. Um, But I think you've really gotten into something there around a forgiving, a sense of forgiving. And whilst it can't be constant because nothing is constant this year, I think that overarching in the last six months, seven months, eight months, wherever we're up to on this thing, this crazy ride this year, um, definitely been a factor. Yeah. Like, do we really want to sweat the small stuff? How much energy do I want to give that? I even think about some of the the sports scandals this year, you know, they would have dominated headlines for weeks in other years, but they kind of came in and we went, Oh yeah. Okay. Not great. But kind of dealing with a pandemic over here so we're just going to move on to the next thing. Well I think all the sports um, particularly the NRL um, issues were related to COVID anyway weren't they They breaching AFL as well yeah wherever there's a rugby player there's an issue (laughs) anyway okay I mean yeah it's 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 unfortunate but I think it's probably just one of those things that we consider to be a reflection of the missteps that people in our society perhaps are taking to but when you're a high profile person it comes with the territory that you have to accept responsibility and you have to abide by those rules and you will be put up to greater scrutiny than the average person but that said we've had some very ordinary everyday average people also breach uh restrictions and then kind of flaunt a bit of that on social media and found themselves in very hot water um and facing the consequences so perhaps the uh prolification of sharing on social media is changing that and that we all need to think about um heartfelt apologies and being responsible and uh having ownership of our behavior not just those at the head of an organization or the face of a brand um or a celebrity that uh this there's some takeaways in what's happened in the last year for everyone really not just those that we work with I wonder if they should teach how to apologize at schools 
I think so. I mean, I always think because my youngest is four and I always feel like there's something that happens when they're between the ages of three and four where something starts to click on sorry. I think it's it's just lip service. And then when they're four, they start to get a sense of, okay, this word means something. And um, (laughs) we've been going through... um, I get sorries very quickly now, very, very quickly. But the, the conversation we've been having this year is sorry only means something if we change our behaviour afterwards. Promise future excellence, I think, um, uh, yeah. is the word we need to be using. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm Nicole Webb, the CEO of the Impact Agency, and with me is Francis Dwyer, our General Manager of the Impact Agency. And sorry, Sorry, not sorry for talking about apologies for the last half hour. (laughs) We all hope you are staying well and we look forward to um, talking to you again soon. Bye. Bye.